Welcome to another episode of the OHL podcast. The OHL podcast is presented by Matt Smith Goaltending Incorporated. For a personal and individualized approach to goaltending, train where elite goaltenders are created. Check them out online at mattsmithgoaltending.com. We've had so many opportunities via this podcast to catch up with former players, executives, coaches, officials, you name it, to get some stories from their side of the game. And I am pumped. I am pumped to have Scott Clark with us today because he brings a perspective we're yet to have the business side of the game to our podcast. It's great to have you on the show, Scott. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Honored to be here, Mike. Love the show. Thank you so much for that. I got to start with your roots in Western Canada. You're a prairie boy and you end up starting a career in the Ontario Hockey League. But even before that, the legendary Regina Pats, that's where you're interning and some guy named Stu McDonald comes along. So I'll let you connect the rest of those dots that bring the Prairie Boy over here to Ontario. Oh, you know what? The one thing I know about you, Mike, is you do your homework. Good grief. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I grew up in uh, in Regina. Uh, was a huge fan of the Regina Pats from a very young age. I think I went to my first game when I was about eight. And you kind of want friends of the family said, did, uh, would Scott like to go to the game? And yeah, Scott would. And, you know, you walk in and you hear the organ music and you could smell the popcorn and you can feel, feel the chill from the ice. Talk about hooked, like hooked right away. Um, so, yeah, I grew up in Regina. I was a big Pats fan, huge Rough Rider fan, loved my CFL, uh, big baseball fan, loved my Baltimore Orioles. Um, and uh, when I got out of uh, when I got out of high school, um, I was, uh, you know, hanging around at the uh, Agridome in Regina during training camp um, and uh, f really fortunate for me. I was not an introvert, but certainly not an extrovert. And uh, the uh, training camp session had just kind of come to an end. And the general manager, Bob Strum, was walking around the concourse, walking to his office. And fortunately, he didn't have a whole lot of there was nobody with him. So he was kind of undivided attention type of thing. And it was the days before I'm dating myself, Mike, but it was the day before uh, cell phones. So no distraction there. And I just, I don't know what got into me, but I, I said, Mr. Strum. And he said, yes. And I said, my name is Scott, Scott Clark. And if there's anything I can do, I would love to be involved. And he said, well, what's your phone number? I gave him the phone number and figured maybe that was the end of it. And about a week later, I got a phone call from Stu McDonald, who uh, who was their uh, director of marketing and public relations, and and said, uh, I, "I understand you would like to to do some stuff with the team." And I said, "Absolutely." So they uh, they also at that time owned a Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League team, the Saskatchewan the Regina Pat Blues was their farm team, and they said, "Would you like to? Would you come down and do statistics? Learn to do statistics?" And I said, "Absolutely." And I had been doing statistics listening to the games for years and uh so yeah that was the that was the kind of the opener was bob strum and and Stu mcdonald and uh i did that for uh the sjhl team for a year the next year they they said would you would you come on the road with the team with the pats to saskatoon uh yeah i will um and uh, from that point on i was uh basically did home and home and away for the team traveled with the team did statistics um yeah did all that kind of stuff for three years um I think my my third year in my second my second year in it was in the summertime and I got a phone call one day from Stu McDonald and Stu said what are you doing today and I said 
I don't have a lot going on, Stu. And he said, I'm going to pick you up. You're coming to a business meeting with me. And I went, wow, okay, I got to find some clothes. And uh, he took me to a, it was kind of like a summer meeting uh, with uh, the Boston Pete's, local Boston pizza franchisee to talk about the upcoming season, about the ads and the tickets and the promotions. And, and I just sat there and I was like, wow, like I was drinking it in, drinking from the fire hose. And, uh, you know, later that year, Stu said, you know, you should think about this as a career. I said, there's a career. Yeah, I guess there is a career in this. He says, there is. And he led me. He suggested Durham College in Oshawa, Ontario. Stu is originally from Ottawa, had gone to Durham College in Oshawa. There was really two sports admin programs in Canada at the time, uh, Laurentian University in Sudbury and, and uh, Durham College. So that was kind of the start. That was the start. I got my feet wet there and uh, got accepted, accepted to Durham College and everything took off. It all and makes Stu is, sense. Uh, Stu's still a mentor to me. He's uh, I still think so much of Stu. He's uh, been the chief uh, revenue officer for the Edmonton Oilers. He's been with the Oilers for oh 35 years now. That's amazing. That's amazing. And it all makes sense now how you would get lured from Regina to, of all places, the Durham region of Ontario. But just before we talk more about that, because then yeah. the real Ontario Hockey League portion of this story starts coming into play. It, it occurs to me as, as you're talking about that, Scott, like, you know, you, you go to that first Pats game as a kid and, and the smells and the sounds and the hockey arena. And you're like, I want a piece of this, but there's that yep. can do attitude that you had, obviously when Bob Strum says, Hey, you know, give me your phone number and you want to do statistics. And you're like, heck yeah, I'm going to do statistics. Like when we start out, that's, kind of how it works isn't it you take what you can get and start building your resume yeah i mean you have to i was very fortunate i was the right place right time um but uh you know for young people trying to get in right now sometimes it's not that first door sometimes it's the second door the third door the tenth door uh, but when the door opens a crack kick the door down kick it down get involved do do whatever you can to get involved learn as much about the game as you can um Get involved every which way that you can. Uh, every experience uh, builds your confidence, builds your comfort level. It shows other people uh, your your work ethic and what you can do it means a lot. That's a great piece of advice for sure. So when you come over to Ontario, hop over a couple of provinces, start in that sport management program at Durham College, you're basically in the backyard of a really proud Ontario Hockey League franchise, the Generals. How yep. much of your time, Scott, was divided between actually focusing on your studies and maybe dabbling here and there in the OHL with that Generals team? Oh, I, it was, uh, I, well, I'll tell you, first of all, like I'm going to Durham College and here's the Prairie Boy and, and I'm going to go to orientation for Durham College in July and find out what it's all about, try to find a place to live and all those type of things. So the Prairie Boy jumps off of the plane at Pearson, gets in a rental car, and jumps on the 401. Oh, oh, oh that was a learning. That was a learning curve. There was a bit of a learning curve there. But after about five minutes, you're like, yeah, I like this. It's it, but for the first five minutes, it's a it's a culture shock for sure. Um, and that weekend, I uh, decided that uh, part of the weekend was going to go see where the generals play. I wanted to go and find that out. And I walked in the rink and it smelled like a rink. It was a great rink. I love the Civic Auditorium. And I knocked on the general's door just thinking maybe it's a Sunday afternoon. There's no nobody going to be around, but maybe. You never know. And Sherry Basson's there. And so Sherry and I had uh, had an opportunity to meet. And uh, 
And he said, so, so what are you going to do during the year? Do you want to, do you want to work with the team? And I said, uh, yeah, I do. That would be great. And, and, and Stu McDonald had come from uh, the Oshawa generals. His placement was with the Oshawa generals too. So we, so we shared that same common background. So he knew, he knew Sherry as well. So there was some commonality there and, and Sherry said, okay, when you come back in August, uh, you'll, you'll work with Paul Terrio and I'll introduce you to Paul and, and uh, you'll do the stats for the team this year. And I said, I'm in. Uh, Durham College was an amazing experience, great experience. Um, I would say probably my time was split probably 30% of my time at, at Durham College and 70% with the generals. I put a lot into it. I, I, I For the most part, most of my professors, um, they saw the track that I was on. They knew what I wanted to accomplish. And so they were very supportive. They were very helpful and and understood that, boy, for me to get to where I was going, it was going to be that combination of of uh, having a diploma, but also having that, um, that uh, practical background. So was Sherry in any way intimidating? I never thought of him as a physically intimidating presence, but the reputation, Scott, and with, you know, Stu having known him a little bit, did it mm -hmm. intimidate you at all that first conversation? No, 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 I, I, I've never been intimidated, intimidated by Sherry. I can, under, I can, I can understand that. I can appreciate that. No, uh, I, it was, I spent two years with Sherry there in Oshawa and he's just a very warm, congenial person. Uh, I got to tell you, and, and I've talked to other, I talked to guys who played in Oshawa and they say the same thing. There's usually not a day goes by that we don't say something of our vernacular and we go, oh yeah, that's Sherry. Like, I can't believe I'm still saying that, you know, he's got all these sayings, you know, is everything up to date in Kansas city? You know, how you be feeling? You know, and Sherry's got all these colloquialisms and it's funny, we carry them forward with us. That's kind of impact Sherry had. No, I didn't find him to be um, intimidating at all. Uh, with Sherry, it was, you know, he's going to give you a very loose, uh, loose um, assignment. Okay. Here's kind of what I need you to accomplish. You figure it out. Go get it done. If you need some help, you get stuck or whatever, come back and see me. And uh, so yeah, it was a great learning experience there. Paul Terrio, what, a, what an amazing man. Great man, way ahead of his time, way ahead of his time as far as coaching, coaching techniques. I mean, we talk about, um, you know, about uh, analytics now uh, that has become such a big part of the game. A lot of the stuff that that they're doing now, we were doing in Oshawa. We we're doing it on pen and paper back in back in uh, the mid '80s, and that that was his influence. We were the first team to ever travel with. Uh, we traveled with statistics every game. We traveled with video every game, and it was a really big part of. Paul, uh, both for the video for him and, but for learning for the players and on the analytics side, uh, he wanted to, he wanted it as a fallback to check against what he saw with his naked eye. He wanted statistics to either approve or disapprove what he had seen. Uh, but brilliant, brilliant guy. Talk about, talk about a lucky guy. I mean, I came from the Regina Pats, which was, you know, one in one of the best organizations in in the Western Hockey League, Regina and Portland were the two key franchises at that time, and uh, and they come to Oshawa in the OHL. Like, I, I really a very lucky, fortunate guy is what I was. Just because I geek out over this stuff so much, when we talk about statistics, Scott, and particularly mm -hmm. statistics circa mid to late nineteen eighties. What yeah. is it? What are you doing? What are you tracking? Everything. Yeah. 
everything we we tracked uh we tracked time like everything you would do right now that's e easier now with techno so much easier now with technology but uh yeah everything from plus plus minus shots shots taken uh for all the shots was it an even strength power play shorthanded hits for hits against uh face-offs of course um yeah we we had paul had uh well you can kind of see that there's a uh behind me there's a framed hockey card set um, and, uh, we had a board, we traveled with a board that was bigger than that. And it was a bit of a joke when we go on the road and they'd laugh about it, that we needed two spots in the press box, but we had this massive board with a, with a stat sheet on it. Everything went on to one sheet, uh, between periods, I would summarize it, come down. Paul would want to see that we'd have a conversation about it. And then after the game, uh, I would bet, go back to the college. Sometimes that was off the road and it would be at three or four in the morning, but they would give me, they gave me special access to the college so I can get into the computer room and put all the statistics together. And uh, so we get it up on the board uh, for the following day for practice. Um, and, uh, and, and we would, you know, tracking on six game segments and that type of stuff too. But um, yeah, it was, it was, it's a, it was just a tool that, that helped focus. Yeah. Considering your affiliation to the Oshawa generals, how well received were you in your big statistics board in say, I don't know, Peterborough? It was fine. We, uh, yeah, we, uh, we always, I always kind of sat in with uh, Paul Romanuk, who was our radio guy, Paul and, uh, and, and Dave Gilbert, who was our, uh, uh, our, uh, our color guy. So I would kind of bunk in with uh, Paul in the, in the visitors uh, radio area, but Peterborough always fun. Oh my goodness. I, <laughs> and, you know, I listened to, listen to Brian drum and, and uh, his, and your podcast with Brian and oh my goodness, he had some good stories. Uh, and uh, yeah, you could write a book about Peter Rosh with a rivalry and the things, the crazy things that went on. And I heard John Tanner also talk on your podcast about hanging his, hanging him in effigy. For, that was an everyday, every game thing. When Oshawa went in, they always hung a mannequin with an Oshawa General's jersey out of one of the boxes across from the General's bench. So it hung and they could see it at the beginning of the game, Adam. Silly stuff, and you certainly couldn't get away with that now. Not well, that's yet. the thing. I was just going to say, and I, I kind of miss that stuff, right? Like, not that we need anything off color or rude, no. but, you know, that kind of passion between the, the, the rivals and, and the fans getting that involved in things. That's pretty wild stuff. Intensity sells tickets, you know, and storylines sell tickets. Um, and, yeah, it was it was a little circus-like at times with Oshawa and Peterborough both, in both buildings. Um, but, uh, boy, the fans couldn't wait for the next one. It's all ticket, right? Absolutely. We're, we're a business at the end of the day. We're a business. What was travel like for you back then? Uh, travel was good. I mean, Oshawa travel was good. Um, you know, the road trips were all pretty short with the exception of one, once a year up the road to Sudbury and the Sioux. And, uh, no, the travel was good with, uh, uh, with the generals and we were home, Every Sunday, every Sunday at seven, we never missed a Sunday night. We were Sunday at seven. We had, uh, I think it maybe maybe has changed, but you know, you had we had first priority on Sunday, so nobody could have a Sunday game until the generals were satisfied. And uh, Peterborough had their Thursday nights, and every, every team kind of had their their uh, priority night, um, and that was us Sunday. So you always knew we were going to be home on Sunday night, which for me was school the next day. Made complete sense. It was it was a great thing for us to be able to market every Sunday at seven, you didn't have to check the schedule. You didn't have to do anything. You knew Sunday night, you want to go to the game. Yeah. It's they're going to play and it's going to be seven o'clock. 
Yeah. It still exists to this day, except for whatever reason, they've moved it back by an hour. It's now every Sunday at six. You can count on the Gens being the final game on the weekend schedule. I noticed that. And six o'clock probably helps with school, probably helps the players, and probably helps the visiting team a lot. So, yeah, it probably makes sense. Yeah, for sure. You mentioned the Sioux as one of those long trips, and that's another place you spent a couple of years uh, in marketing and business development. I wish, Scott, and I'm glad I have another trip up to the Sioux this season still, because when I was last there, I found myself looking up and down the hallway outside the media box at all the pictures of teams past. So now I'm going to find Scott Clark because it was, what, 87-ish, if I got that right? Yeah, 87, 88, and 88, 89. Two I'm going to find you in that picture. But if it was if it was a culture shock, being the Prairie Boy, getting off the plane at Pearson, going yeah. on to the 401, did it feel a little more like home up in the Sioux? Or what was that transition like? Osho felt like home after about one week. Uh, the, the 401 was really the only, only culture shock there. Sioux St. Marie was, you know, um, definitely remote. You know, compared to um, uh, compared to the rest of the province, remote, whereas Oshawa is in the middle of everything, whereas Sault Ste. Marie, you know, we would play at home two or three games on a weekend, and then the next weekend you're on the road for two or three, right? You're either at home or you're on the road. You're one, you're one or the other. So, um, but I, I love the Sault Ste. Marie. Sault Ste. Marie was, was great. The summers are fantastic. Uh, I spent a lot of... Uh, you know, if the team was on the road, if I wasn't on the, if I wasn't going on the road, I was just hop, skip and jump down uh, the I-75. I think it's I-75. I think it is down to Muskegon and Kalamazoo. I spent lots of nights in Muskegon and Kalamazoo. I loved that the in the uh, International Hockey League at that time. And then the summer times down to Milwaukee, watch the Brewers. Great. Drive through the Upper Peninsula of Michigan to, to get to Milwaukee. Um, so and Marquette. Marquette's a beautiful spot in, uh, in the summertime. So, no, I love the Sioux uh organization you know when you've come from two of the best hockey organizations in junior hockey uh, at the time sue was really struggling at uh the sam mcmaster area where they'd gone 33 no and had a really good team uh was on one side of me and then the other side of me was uh uh you know sherry coming in and the ownership change with dr chinook and, and getting things back at that professional level and unfortunately i was there at a time when uh, we really struggled as an organization. It was, uh, it was a little ragtag. You know, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the transition when Dr. Schnook took over and the way the organization is run today, because I honestly look at it today, Scott, as being one of the model franchises in the league for an sure. area that is remote for a young player. That can be intimidating, but you get up there, they take such good care of you, and you, you never hear a peep. You Not like those Sam McMaster days, right? You never hear a peep out of that organization about, oh, what was us or anything like that. They really run it first class. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, and it's a hockey community. It's hockey through and through. It's such a great history of the game in, in Sault Ste. Marie. And fortunately, when, you know, I was there, we had seven owners. They were all located in uh, in and around New York and uh, in Connecticut. There was Phil Esposito and uh, six other investors all from that area. So they were remote. They weren't involved. Uh, they weren't in the community. And, uh, and and I think that that, I think that's important. Um, you know, uh, both uh, both George, uh, Dr. Dr. Schnook, and uh, Jim, uh, I'm trying, having a brain cramp, but I can't remember Jim's last name, who owned the Sioux Greyhounds for so long uh, before Phil Esposito's group took over the team. They were community guys through and through and 
and uh and so they were there they were at the brink every day and they were in the at the games and you know it makes a big difference yeah sherry basson was obviously connected to both of those organizations we're talking yeah. about oshawa and the sioux and there was mm-hmm. another fellow up in the sioux that you may have crossed paths with at one time or another but in ted nolan arguably one of the yeah. best we've ever seen come through this league yeah um yeah with, with teddy uh, teddy was assistant coach uh when i got to sioux saint marie uh, Don Boyd was coach and GM. Uh, Don was uh, had recruited me to come to Sault Ste. Marie, um, and in the second year, uh, we had we had a Don had an amazing draft. I mean, he had Bob Bugner was a first rounder, and Adam Foote was a second round. Wow, talk about setting up your blue line. I mean, amazing. Um, and uh, but the second year, um, the team was struggling, um, and they made a decision to make a change. Uh, Don uh, Boydie left the organization, and Teddy was moved up to head coach. Um, but yeah, I spent a lot of time with Ted when he was assistant coach. We used to go for lunch just about every day across the street to the busy bee and, um, and, uh, yeah, Ted, Ted's quality all the way, first class all the way and enjoyed my time with Ted a lot. Um, and as far as Sherry is concerned, it was, it was kind of funny. Cause I left, uh, I left the suit. Um, they weren't going to renew my contract, which was, which was okay with me. And I got a call that night from, uh, from Paul Terrio saying, I heard you're not with the Sioux anymore. I said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm moving on, Paul. And he said, don't go anywhere. Don't do anything. We got things are happening down here. I'll be back in touch. Don't go anywhere. I said, okay. And uh, yeah, a week later, Sherry uh, resigned his position and he moved to the Sioux and, and I went from the Sioux to Oshawa. And I don't know if we, I don't know if we waved at each other on the highway passing each other or what, but um, yeah, it was, it was so, really sorry to see Sherry leave Oshawa because he was a fixture with the, with the generals, but it was his time, I guess. And, uh, and I was, I was, you know, for me to go back to Oshawa is like, I was absolutely in heaven to work with. I thought I was going to work with Paul again. Paul ended up resigning and taking a, a job in Europe the, in August and, and left uh, our 89-90 team. But uh, for me to be able to go back and work with Mr. Humphreys, John Humphreys and John and Barb Humphreys are the greatest owners in junior hockey. I mean, they were absolutely amazing people. John was so such a great guy and so supportive and then frankie J comes in as general manager and frankie's a flipping genius like just a such a wise hockey man um and uh and and yeah frank and i got along like two peas in a pod frank was just an amazing guy to work with and uh he you know he'd come into sault saint marie to scout for the new jersey devils all the time and he'd call me and say scotty i'm coming in and I jump in the car with Frank and we'd go off to Marquette University or Lake Superior State or wherever he was going for the weekend and and uh, hang out with Frank and be able to pick his brains. And, you know, for me to have mentors like Bob Strum and Stu McDonald and Sherry Basson, right? And Frankie J and Paul Terrio. Boy, oh boy, what a lucky guy, honestly. Just incredible. So I can only imagine what some of those conversations with Frankie would have been like as you yeah. get back to Oshawa because that 89-90 year, I mean – what a year to be returning to those OHL roots, so to speak, a tremendous team. And oh yeah, some guy named Eric. Yeah. Unbelievable. I mean, we had, we had such a good team. We had such good leadership with Brent. When Brent Grieve and Ian Fraser both came back from the NHL as overages, but we got them both back as overages as opposed to playing in the AHL. Unbelievable! Such great, such great overages, great leaders. Both Oshawa kids, both local guys. Um, so I mean, we we uh, we had a pretty good, pretty good team. Um, and then um, you know, with Eric not reporting to Sault Ste. Marie, and 
It was so important to get Eric in the league. I think everybody saw the upside of that and certainly didn't want the downside of losing a, a guy like Eric Lindros to the NCAA. Um, and uh, so they, they, you know, they changed the rules that a minor up until then, a minor midget couldn't be dealt in their first year. So they changed the rules that if a minor midget wanted to be traded, then the team team could trade if they wanted, could trade the rights to that player uh, in that three week period every year around Christmas. And I can't remember exactly what the dates were, but it was this basically this date to this date, which corresponded with the school year. And uh, it, that was the right move for the league. And, uh, and I think it's the right move for players then and, and players of now, I think, you know, if you, if the, if, if, uh, if the situation arises, it's good for the league and it's good for the, uh, good for the player. Anyways, that's what occurred. It was a blind bid process, which uh, was a Sherry Basson, uh, uh, you know, concept, which all, uh, all bids had to go through were blind and had to go through the Ontario hockey league office before they would go off to, to Sault Ste. Marie. And, and I, and I recall it, vividly it was about mm, we made the trade on december 19th and it was about 10 days prior to that and uh frank said i want you to be at a meeting tonight we're, we're gonna we need to talk about some stuff and i said sure and uh, there was frank and myself and we had uh three or four of our scouts i think mr humphreys was probably there and uh it all came down to you know here's what the offer looks like um, and for my end of it, the business end of it was, you know, here's the dollars and the dollars were dollars were about $80,000, which is about $40,000 cash and about $40,000 in future NHL rights. If, you know, he played as an underage, that's about what it was going to be worth in developmental fees. And, and, uh, I'm probably telling stories out of school, but it doesn't matter. Um, and Frank's, you know, ask of me was, so it's $80,000. Like, can we, can we make that up? Like, what's your, what's your thoughts? Can you make that up? And I said, okay, that's a fair bit of money. I know this guy's pretty good. How good is he? And he said, he's pretty damn good. I said, okay, well, you know, that's X amount of seats per game. Can we do that? Yeah, I think we can do that. I think we could probably do it by the end of the year, but you know, it might be, might be Christmas of the next year. I don't know. I, I, but I think, yes, I'm confident. I'm comfortable that yes, I can, I can make those dollars. We can do that. So, okay. Anyways, and he probably was going to do it anyways, but he was involving me and which was, that's Frank's way. And uh, anyways, yeah, we, a week, uh, 10 days later, uh, we, the trades accomplished and we've got Eric coming in and we didn't see Eric for about three weeks because he was at the world juniors already. And uh, with uh, Mike Craig from our team was also, uh, was also there um, and uh, playing on a line with Eric actually. And uh yeah. So, and uh, we announced the trade on uh, Sunday, the 19th, I believe it was. And I had uh, a prepaid trip the next day to Florida to, to go to Disney and, and get some time off over Christmas and get some R and R. So, but I got on the phone really quick and um, we, we cut a deal for uh, with a uh, promoter out of uh, Detroit to do a hockey card set. And uh, hockey cards have been something that have been close to my, close to me since I was the age of six and started collecting. And then when I was like 14, I had a mail order company before there was the internet. I had a mail order company would sell sets and cards to, to collectors in the United States who loved the Canadian stuff. Anyways, long story short, um, I got on, uh, got on the phone and we cut a deal with a Detroit promoter to do an Oshawa generals hockey card set with Eric Lindros, his first, first card ever. And, uh, and the deal provided us with, uh, with, with more money than we needed to pay off that eighty thousand dollar debt, so we were able to actually accomplish the financial end of it before the puck even before he played his first game. 
that is incredible. That's, kind of, that's the kind of impact he had. Now people, people say to me, like, well, yeah, but you know, Crosby had an impact. No, 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 Crosby didn't have an impact like Lindros had. Nobody's had an impact on the junior hockey like Lindros. The only one who's ever been anywhere close, in my opinion, is currently with Connor Bedard. Um, and he's selling out every rink in the WHL with the exception of the rink, the, his home rink. They just, for whatever reason, he's not filling the Regina rink. I, I don't understand that for the life of me. But, um, but yeah, Eric was, uh, it was, he came in uh, as a 16 year old um, and uh, immediately you, you looked at the player. I mean, you watched him at the world juniors before we got him and then, and then you saw him practice and you're like, Oh boy, this guy is, He's so big and so talented and can play the game with soft hands or with stone mitts if you need him to. I mean, he he play he could play the game any way he wanted to play him. And I remember the first game, first road game, and I remember him coming up and and sitting with me and asking questions about the business side of of hockey. I'm like asking good questions, like real solid questions. I'm like, oh, this 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 kid's he's not only is he special, but he's He's real mature and real smart. Um, so yeah, he was a he was an absolute pleasure, um, and uh, yeah, and that took a really good team, and uh, it was a nice, it was a real valuable piece. Uh, as was Freddie Brathwaite, who the trade opened up the doors for Freddie because he was playing with our team in Aurelia at the time, uh, and we uh, part of the trade was Mike Leonard Doozy going to the Sioux, which opened the door for uh, Freddie and. Between Freddie and Kevin Butt, we got great goaltending down the stretch. And, and of course, Freddie was the hero of the Memorial Cup game. Good friend of mine is Mike Torquia, who was the goalie on the other team against yeah. the Gens in that Memorial Cup. And he takes the okay, all in good fun, of course, all these years later with those shots. Ah, oh, Freddie Brathwaite, Freddie Brathwaite. Well, I mean, two, I don't think you could ever have two teams that were so closely matched. And, and listening to uh, Brent Grieve on your podcast uh, talk about the relations between the two that they would hang out in the summertime. I might have been Ian Fraser actually, I think, was talking about it. Um, you know, and uh, it's it's true. And but so evenly matched. And uh, you know, Mike and Mike and uh, and Freddie and Kevin Butt like the the teams matched up so evenly, uh, which meant that ended up us playing seven games and going to overtime and double overtime so many times uh yeah fantastic hockey some of the best hockey i've i ever witnessed take half a step back because so many talk about that memorial cup as being just what you described it as scott the, the mm -hmm. best that we've ever seen but you yeah. got me thinking when talking about that lindros deal and how you got to be involved in that conversation prior to the deal being consummated and yeah. it's it's one of the unique perspectives we're able to get having you on the podcast this week because this is a side of the game like we can talk about teddy nolan and sherry bassin and eric lindros which we have before and we will again and you've got these great stories but when yeah. you're doing your job for the mm -hmm. oshawa generals organization and you have to come up with eighty thousand dollars in revenue okay the hockey card set certainly helped in that but what are you what are you doing on that business side is it about 
creating the promotions that get bums and seats. What sorts of things are you watching on that business side of the game? Um, yeah, I mean, for me, it was, you know, trying to try to maximize revenue opportunities because it's junior hockey, right? And that, that hasn't changed over the years. You're trying to maximize all your revenue streams. You're trying to create new revenue streams. Um, and uh, and for, for me, I mean, it was a bit of a, a watershed time for junior hockey in that up until about the early 80s to the mid 80s, it was opening the doors and how many people were coming in. Uh, and your promotion was probably the two coaches talking smack about each other's team and creating some rivalry, creating some buzz, right? Which was, I think, is lost in today. And it's, and, and I love it. I think it really helps. Storylines, again, storylines sell. Um, so, but things were changing a little bit. And my, my perspective changed when I was in Sault Ste. Marie and I would go to see Lake Superior State, which was right across, it's right across the bridge from Sault Ste. Marie and Sioux, Michigan, and, and especially going to Kalamazoo and Muskegon uh, and going and seeing international hockey, uh, IHL games. And it, the atmosphere was completely different. It was more of an adult crowd. It was Friday night. There was a lot of beer in the stands, which there wasn't beer in junior at junior games at that point. Uh, there was, uh, they would bring in entertainers, you know, they bring in uh, the, the trumpet guy from Quebec city and, and have him blowing the trumpet. They would have canned music. They'd have a DJ, right. Instead of an organ, they were doing all these things that we weren't doing. Uh, and I, so I started some of that in Sault Ste. Marie. I brought in Claude Scott, the trumpeter from Quebec city. I brought him in uh, my second year there. We got rid of the organ and brought in a DJ that didn't go over very well, but it lasted. It lasted. I, I, I felt it was going that way. I felt things were going that way. And I just wanted to change the energy in the building. And I wanted to change. Uh, I wanted to change our promotions. I wanted to have the game be more of an event. It's a hockey game, but there's an event happening and there's more happening than just what was happening on the ice. And we, we uh, I, I felt that that's where things were going. And so we tried to accomplish that. We started that in the Sault Ste. Marie. And then I carried that over in Oshawa and uh, we, I brought in a DJ again, had a couple of people not happy with me, but a couple of people, but we made the change. Uh, we started doing more promotions. Uh, we started doing uh, smaller ticket packages as opposed to selling, we can sell you tonight's game or we'll sell you 36. Well, we started to sell a six game, you know, flex packs and things like that and make it more, uh, more customer friendly. Uh, we started more doing more group group discounts and those type of things. Um, we started to try to expand the market. And it was my, I think my second or third year in Oshawa where we did that. We wanted to try to expand the market. And how do you do that? Well, thought, you know what? If we only do about one Saturday practice a month, because you were usually at the, on the road, uh, but those Saturday practices, why don't, we, why don't we go to Port Hope and practice in Port Hope? Why don't we go to Port Perry and practice? In, why don't we go to Ajax? And if we work with the community there, they'll give us the ice time and we'll bring all the coaches and coaches in and we'll bring the players, the kids come in, bring a, something for the food bank. Uh, the coaches um, will have a session afterwards while the players are signing autographs for the kids. The coaches can sit in with our coaches and ask questions about the practice and, and whatever they want to talk about. Uh, we put uh, Rick Kornack, our coach, on a wireless mic so they could hear what it was happening out on the ice. Um, and then we kind of rolled it back and said, this is going to be Port Perry night. 
And so we're going to do discount tickets and somebody from Port Perry is going to sing the anthem. So we tried to expand our market is what we tried, tried to do. So those are, those are the type of things we were, those are the type of things I was focusing on trying to make it more of an event, trying to, trying to maximize our opportunity, especially when you've got a, a profile guy like Eric for a couple of years and, um, and expanding our market, expanding our brand footprint. I absolutely love that. It's super exciting stuff. And I wonder if Oshawa is probably far enough removed, Scott, from Toronto that you didn't have to worry about it. And I know, you know, you're out West now. I don't know if you have any perspective at all on the greater Toronto area and the OHL's insistence on trying to make something work there, which they've had some good teams through Mississauga and Brampton back in the day, but it's just, I don't think it's ever really going to, to grab hold the way it could in another market. Yeah, I don't know what the solution is there. And other than those markets don't have their own identity, I don't think. I think they're they're overshadowed by the the larger GTA, the larger horseshoe. Uh, Oshawa certainly back then was its own, definitely its own community, no doubt. It had its own vibe, its own community. It was a General Motors town, um, and so we didn't have we we didn't uh, we didn't have that. Uh, and it was, but it was always fun to go to Toronto to Maple Leaf Gardens to play the Marlies on a Saturday afternoon. And you're at the gardens and it's fun to be downtown TO. Um, but, you know, you'd look up in the stands and there'd be a couple thousand people and you're like, man, how can you not? Like for, it's probably six or eight dollars or maybe ten dollars back then to come to Maple Leaf Gardens and watch an Ontario Hockey League game on a Saturday afternoon. It's a, Boy, I mean, how, how can you go wrong on that? I can't believe I forgot about that. I might have been one of those few thousand fans because that's exactly what I would do for an opportunity to see a game at Maple Leaf Gardens, right? Yeah. And yeah. For sure. Absolutely. So back to that 90 Memorial Cup, we were talking on it about it before I went on that little bit of a tangent there. But what was the final like for you? How tense was it for you on your side of that game? Oh, man. Um Fantastic. I mean, we, we, I don't know about tension, probably more of the guys that were on the ice, obviously. And, and, but, uh, but there was an expectation we're going to win, you know, and that's, we had that in Regina. We had that again in Oshawa. We kind of one of those things when you've got a a team that's in turmoil, like Sault Ste. Marie, where you don't expect to win, right? You could feel it. It's just, it's tangible. But we expected to win. Not that we were cocky or anything like that. Not not at all. But we we're just confident. We there was an expectation that find a way. We're going to find a way here. Um, and so it wasn't really. It was somewhat stressful, sure. But there was an expectation that yeah, it's going to happen. We'll, we'll get this done. Um, but I can tell you that throughout the week. Um, I didn't, I, I didn't take a spot up in the press box or anything like that. I would wander the concourse and, and I, I enjoyed that. And so, you know, at Cops Coliseum, you've kind of got, yeah, I'm sure you've been to Cops many times, so you're aware of this, but for the people that are listening that maybe haven't been to Cops, to get into each section, you go through a portal. So from the concourse, you can't see the ice surface. You have to go through a portal to get to the seating area. So I would go through the portal and stand kind of at the portal not blocking any vision of anybody, not blocking anything or causing any issues, but I'd watch from the portal. And that was kind of my thing. I'd watch from the portal. I didn't want to take up a seat, but I'd watch from the portal. And then during a stoppage, when there was a stoppage in play, I'd walk around to the next portal and, and keep moving around and move around the, the concourse during the game. And that was my thing. That's what I did. And that worked. It was great. Until second overtime against Kitchener in the seventh in the uh, Memorial Cup final. 
and they decided they wanted to move me along and I couldn't be there that I was a hazard. And I said, I'm, uh, guys, I've been doing this all week. I'm not, I'm not blocking anybody's vision. I'm not going to create any issues for you. You need to move. Like, so we, we, we went back and forth on it. Finally, I gave in. Okay. So I'll move. I moved to the next portal. They moved me again, moved again. We had a stoppage in play. They moved me on and I'm on the concourse going to the next portal as fast as my little legs will take me. And the crowd goes bananas. 18,000 people, 9,000 of them from Kitchener, 9,000 of them from Oshawa. Who scored? I don't know. Until I get to the portal and I can see our guys on the ice going absolutely crazy. So I didn't see the goal till I've seen it a million times since, but I didn't see it live. Uh, but then, yeah, that's mayhem. Get downstairs and, yeah. That is incredible. What a way, what a way for it to happen after the whole week of just yeah. watching from those portals. Oh yeah. gosh. That crack crack cops coliseum security team. Oh right? yeah. Let me tell you. <laughs> they're still doing their job. They're yeah, still doing absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah, they're where, just doing their job. Where's your uh where's your ring? Oh, look at that. Our YouTube viewers are loving that one right there. Every yeah. Just about every day. There's not too many days I don't wear it. No kidding. Yeah. But that's what what a sense of accomplishment organizationally, right? From yeah. day one to Memorial Cup double overtime, no less. But that like that just speaks to how much goes in and how many people are involved in the entire process. Yep. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that that group, it's funny, uh be three or four times a year. We've got a group email. I still do group distribution email and uh, somebody will share something and everybody's jumping on. And, and once in a while we get together, we had a reunion. And I, I can't believe it, but I, I, I couldn't get there two years ago for the, uh, uh, for the uh, 30 years. Oh, yeah, 30 no kidding, eh? uh, but we got together. We were uh, as a team, we were inducted in the Oshawa sports hall of fame about four years ago. And that was a great event. We had, a, we had a blast and we had a golf tournament. And so we do, we still communicate all the time. I just talking to Jared Scaldi, um, uh, on, on this past Saturday, I was talking to Jared about something and I'll talk a little bit about it later on, but um, talking with Jared, but yeah, we, we communicate, I communicate with Mark Deasley once in a while and, and uh, Ian Fraser and Brent Grieve and uh, yeah. And, and some of the guys before uh, Scott McCrory, um, the generals are alumni is a pretty tight family. And that 90 team is certainly tight. No doubt about it. And my, uh, my, my game night team, my game night operations team that was so good. Uh, Stevie uh, Horn from the Windsor Spitfire. Steve was my intern student, if you can believe it. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, there's a number of us that were, um, you know, that that year uh, we started a little hockey pool that we got going. So we had something to chat about and and uh, and, and, and and stick the needle into each other about trades and stuff like that. And uh, it's still together. We've got about five of us from that Oshawa 1990 business team, if you will, that still we're still in the same rotisserie league together and still communicate and still talk tight, very tight organization. And, and uh, I'm sure the Kitchener group's the same way. Very, very tight. Um, without a doubt. That's Great amazing. memories. Amazing. Uh, you know, it makes me wonder now, too, when you attend a sporting event, Scott, are you able to watch it just for the event that's happening on the field or on the ice, or do you find yourself looking around the stadium or the arena or wherever you are picking out little parts of the game ops? I drive Shannon, my wife and my girls absolutely nuts. I knew that was going to be the answer. I knew it. 
I, I can't, I, you can't shut it off. You can't turn it off. So yeah, when I go to a hockey game, I'm very, um, I'm looking, I'm looking at different details. I'm looking at the, the red carpet that has got the corner that wasn't tapped down. Right. It's a trip hazard. It doesn't look right. Um, I, I look at all the details. It, it drives people around me nuts, but uh, I can't, we go to spring training down in Florida all the time for the blue Jays and it's the same thing. I love it. I love the sunshine, a, a hot dog and a cold beer watching spring training ball, but I'm watching, I'm watching the ball. I love baseball, but I'm also looking at details and, and uh, yeah, once you're wired that way, uh, you can't turn it off. You also had the opportunity through hockey Canada to work a world juniors. I think it was, was it the 99 championship? Yeah. 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 What was that experience like? Oh, once in a lifetime. Um, but my first opportunity that I may have had to work the world juniors, I, I, I just screwed it up flat out. I screwed it up. It was, uh, it was 19, it was 19, 1986 world juniors that were going to be held in Hamilton. Um, so, uh, so we're talking about December of 1985 um, and Sherry Basson's the general manager. And I went to Sherry and I said, Sherry, I, if there's anything I can do, I don't need to go home for Christmas. I'd love to go home for Christmas, but I would really love to be part of the world juniors. And I said, if there's anything I can do. And he said, well, look at, I'm not sure, but Terry Simpson was the coach. He said, Terry's coming out from Prince Albert. He's going to do a little bit of a scouting trip through the Ontario hockey league, see some guys, see some players. He's going to be here. And uh, I'll introduce you and, uh, and maybe like, he'll probably want somebody to do stats. If you want to do stats, he probably would want that. I said, Sherry, that's amazing. That'd be great. So it's a Sunday night. We got a home game. I'm working up in the press box beside Paul Romanek and Dave Gilbert. And, uh, and Terry Simpson's going to be there. And Terry Simpson's there that night. I'm going to meet Terry after the game and introduce myself to Terry and tell him what I do. And maybe I, maybe I get my world junior opportunity. Boy, exciting for me, I tell you. Well, I was very particular with stats. Okay, very particular. So, if there was any error, I'm gonna I'm gonna correct it. And I just happened to to skip a little error on my big stat sheet. And so I have my whiteout, got my whiteout out, and I'm fixing it. And I don't know what happened, but the whiteout flew out of my hands, went up in the air, came down, and soaked me from head to toe. I had it from up here all the way down to my knees. I was soaked with whiteout all over my suit, ruined my suit. I was an absolute flipping mess. Paul Romanek is dying on the air. He had to go to, he had to go to commercial. They were dying so hard. He and Dave Gilbert, we still talk about that. And I was a mess. So first intermission, I go downstairs, I go see Chetto, who's institution in Oshawa. And then what a great guy, Brian Boyce is. I go downstairs. I said, Chats, look at me. He goes, oh, my God. I said, do you have anything I could throw on? He goes, uh, let me see what I can do. He gets me one of Paul Terrio. I'm a very short guy. Paul's a very tall guy. Got me one of Paul's sweat sweat suits. So I've got Paul's sweatpants on and Paul's sweat top on, fleece top on, and that's how I finished the game. And I didn't have the courage to meet Terry Simpson after the game. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it which I, sh- I should have. And now these, now I'm, I'm now that I'm older, I absolutely would have it would have been a funny story to tell and broke the ice, but I couldn't do it. Uh, so then move forward uh, to 19, the 1999 team, uh, December, uh, November of 1998, 
the director of marketing, a director of, excuse me, of, of, um, of communications for Hockey Canada resigns, takes a position with, uh, as a writer with the Edmonton Journal or Edmonton Sun, I think it was a journal. And, uh, and uh, so they reached out to, uh, to me to say, would you, would you fill in? Would you be interested? We're going to hire somebody in January, but would you be interested? Would you fill in for the tournament? I'm like, <laughs> will I? And uh, so they talked to Brent Parker, who was the uh, Parker family owner, Regina Pats, asked permission to take me on loan uh, for the uh, for the six week period. So I joined the World Juniors and uh, took care of all their communications for uh, the Winnipeg tournament. Uh, so we had the the prelim was in Winnipeg. Then we moved to Kenora for uh, for uh, for the preliminary games, which was an adventure. It was great. And I don't know how I lasted. I'll tell you a story about that in a minute. But. Um, and then Brandon for the first game at the Keystone Center, we uh, tied 0-0 against Slovakia. That was um, not a good way to start the tournament. Media was all over us. And then uh, then we moved on to Winnipeg and we went to the gold medal game and lost in overtime to uh, to Russia. And uh, Barry Trapp, uh, who was a Regina guy who was head scout for the Toronto Maple Leafs for a long time and was head scout for uh, for the World Junior Team for Hockey Canada. Uh, I had known Barry and it was Barry who kind of put the bug bug in the air and said, you know, if you need somebody temporary, if you need somebody part time uh, to fill in here for the, this guy would be good. So I, I owed the, I uh, owe a lot to Barry and what a solid guy Barry is after the world, uh, after the gold medal game and we lose to the Russians, Barry said, head out on the ice, go get your silver medal. I said, I get a silver medal. And he said, go out on the ice, get your silver medal. I went, holy crap. Well, it turns out that it was actually Barry's silver medal, and he he let me have his silver medal. Come on, Barry had had some gold and silver medals previous with World Junior Team, and uh, and he let me go out on the ice and and receive a silver medal. And that's Barry Trap. That's what kind of a guy Barry Trap is. That's an incredible story. Incredible. All true. All true. Rob, Roberto Luongo was amazing. Brian Finley was, I think, was probably penciled in to be the starter and. Luongo came in and was unbelievable. He played, played great, but just a great team. Great. Just an amazing experience. Uh, Tom Rennie was what a, what a leader, what a great person Tom is. And uh, Tom came to me the first day and said, all of the sessions that we have, when we're doing our planning, when we're talking to the team before the game and setting out the game plan, you're there. Come in and be a part of it. You don't have to, but the door's open and it'd be a good learning experience for you. I was like, these great, these great people that I was so fortunate enough to work with and open doors for me, you know? And, and, uh, and so I did, I sat in on them and it was what a lesson. I mean, it was absolutely amazing. And what a guy Tom Rennie is the night before the gold medal game, when you woke up in the morning, there was a handwritten note under, I'm sure it was everybody's door, a handwritten note from Tom saying, what a great experience we've all shared and you were really good at whatever he wanted to say. And let's go get him today. Let's go get gold. Tom from Tom Rennie, a handwritten note. Amazing. What happened in Kenora? What happened in Kenora? So we have the, uh, we have the selection camp in Winnipeg at the, uh, at the university there. And then we move on, we select the team. We move on to Kenora. We left, uh, we left late from Winnipeg and it's quite a drive to Kenora and uh, we, we, uh, beautiful weather in Winnipeg, but not when we got to Kenora, Kenora was, 
you know, I think it was about 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. when we got to Kenora and it was about 40 below. And uh, and we as a team, we all got the stuff off the bus as quickly as we could into the dressing room so that the trainers could do their work. And then back to the back to check in, actually check into the hotel. And so we checked into the got into the hotel and got the rooms and all that type of stuff. Um, and uh, I was up in my room. It was probably four o'clock in the morning. And it's the end of a really, really long day. And all of a sudden I went, where's the special camera for the players that TSN gave us? And it was about a $15,000 camera. It was a very expensive camera. They're cheap now. I mean, you could do it on your phone now, but not at that time. But a $15,000, $20,000 camera. And I'm like, where is that camera? I was like, oh my goodness. And I raced downstairs and we had to get into the hotel. We were bringing so much stuff in. We had propped the door open and... And I had put down the camera to prop the door open, which wasn't bad when I was down there, but not an hour and a half later, it had been sitting there by the door. And I ran downstairs and I thought, I'm done for. I am done. How am I going to explain this? And I got down there and it was still there. Whoo. <laughs> That's fantastic. You mentioned a name earlier that I thought of when we were talking about Oshawa and I should have asked about then, but Chetto, Brian Boyce, he was just... Uh, in Kitchener and was out at center ice with Dan Liebold, yes. the head trainer and equipment manager for the Rangers as, yes. as Danny was being recognized for 2000 games. Chato has got to be very close to 3000 now, but anyway, this guy is the stuff of legend around the O you knew him early on, but tell me a little bit about boys. Oh, I mean, consummate professional, so organized and um, you know, we, we always said that uh, we, we had a mother of the organization was Marg Armstrong with Sherry's right arm. And then Mark actually passed away our Memorial Cup year. Mark passed away in November um, and uh, we lost Mark. And Colleen Corner came in and Colleen then became the mother of the general's organization for about 25 years. And she's still kicking around with the general. She still helps out with the alumni association and, and is an amazing lady. Well, those are the mothers of general's organization. They were the conscious and were always the backbone. Probably the father of general's hockey was Brian Boyce. He was somebody who was always there. He was a rock and the players could go to Chetto and they could talk to him about life. They could talk about hockey. They could talk about whatever they wanted. And he was a vault. You know, he would He'd be a sounding board, but you know, it's not gonna not gonna then run to management or run to ownership. Chetto's just a very special person, has done an absolutely amazing job. Uh, I was always amazed that he didn't take an offer because I think there was a lot of them to to go to the NHL, but uh he's a a, a Whitby guy, Ajax a Whitby, Ajax Whitby guy, and uh, and uh, was a general through and through. And uh yeah, I think uh, I think Chet started in about 81 with the general. So he's 41 years, I think. Um, but yeah, Chets is a general through and through and just an amazing guy. And I love getting back to Oshawa and, and spending time with, with Chets and going down to the rink and seeing what he's done, done next. And Chets was actually our, um, our equipment manager for the 1990 world junior team. So I got an opportunity to spend time with, uh, with, uh, with Brian, uh, at that tournament and Stan Butler actually was our assistant coach on that team. Uh, so, and Stan and I worked in Oshawa together for a year as well. So yeah, it was, it was a lot of, uh, had a lot of fun. I would have always thought, and maybe, you know, that Brian Boise's nickname would have been Boise. How's he end up with Chetto? That's a, that's a great question. And I'm going to ask I, I him. Did, yeah, I did ask him one time and he, 
told me and I can't for the life of me. I don't, I don't remember, but yeah, he's been Chet Chetto for forever. And Chetto comes from Pachetto, uh, the wooden character from what cartoon is it? Pachetto Pinocchio? Pinocchio. Oh, okay. Pinocchio. Geppetto. I thought that was Geppetto. Chepet, Geppetto. Geppetto. Oh, where, Geppetto. That's where it, that is where it comes from. That's where the Chetto comes from. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I got it. But how but how he ended up with that handle, I I don't recall. I don't remember. I'm going to get to the bottom of that for sure. Yes. Uh, there's another name you just brought up, though. I always thought, so when I first got to know Stan Butler, it was just kind of from afar. He was coaching in the East. I'm working in the West. You see them once a year. Might be a brief interaction. He always had that knock of, you know, he sets up in the one, two, two at the national anthem. Good luck getting through his defense. But the more I got to know him, oh my gosh, the guy could spin a yarn. That's for sure. What was Stan oh, yeah. like in the early days when you knew him? Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, Stan's, Stan's a character and he's got all kinds of stories. And and uh, I, I haven't talked to Stan probably for about 10 years now. Um, but for a long time, we would talk a couple, at least a couple times a year and Stan's funny because, uh, and I've talked to other people who have said the exact same thing. You'll have a conversation with Stan and you'll get five minutes in or 15 minutes in or 25 minutes in. And all of a sudden I say, okay, I gotta go. Boom. <laughs> yes, that's Just exactly it. Something. He's off. He's like a, he's like a, a cat. All of a sudden a cat, there's something in the other room. And the cat takes off. You well, what happened there? Um, but yeah, Stan and I, uh, I, I got along with Stan really well. And it's funny when Stan left Oshawa, and was job hunting, wanted the next gig. Uh, I was actually in Regina at the time, and I, I got a hold of Stan. And I said, you know, Prince George is looking for looking for somebody. And he said, well, where the hell's that? And I said, Northern BC. And I said they're looking for somebody, and, and I, they got a pretty young team. I think they I think they're ready to come on in a bit of a rebound. And he said, oh okay. And talked a little bit further, and I'm sure he hung up abruptly after 15 minutes on that conversation too, and. Uh, he uh, then called me back and said, I, "I'm going. I'm going to PG for an interview. I'm going. I'm going to Prince George." I said, "So what do you, you you think they've got? A, you think the young guys there can play?" And I said, "Yeah, I, I do. I mean, I only see them. I only see them once or twice a year, but I think so." So I did this. The stats guy and me went through um, the whole roster and did all the numbers and. Here's the here's what you got from your 16s, your 17 year olds, your 18s, your 19s. Not worried about the overage because they ain't coming back. But here's kind of what you got. Here's your percentage of goals from last year, and here's the percentage that's coming back versus percentage of goals and percentage of what's coming back around the rest of the league. These guys have got they had like 70 78 or something percent of their goals coming back, which was way above anybody else in the league i said you got all this talent coming back i think you've got a pretty good hockey team there i think you've got something that could be pretty good and uh so it was funny stan got the job and uh, and i read the newspaper article announcing that they've hired stan butler and they talked about him being a computer whiz i'm like stan doesn't know how to turn a computer on anyways it was kind of it was kind of funny Stan had come on with the with the, all these numbers and used that was part of it. Stan's a brilliant guy. Stan didn't get it because of because of because of a printout. Stan didn't get the job because of that. Stan got the job because Stan's a really smart hockey guy. But and Stan did an amazing job there. The only one of the things I regret is when Stan came back to uh, got the job and came into Regina to play the Pats. He introduced me to Zidane Chara on our concourse, and unfortunately, it was a day before it was a days before cell phones. Uh, had cameras on them so I didn't get a picture with Zidane but I wish I had because I'm all five foot five and 
Zidano's size of the Empire State Building. That's quite and all right. Actually had to, they actually had to take um, his jersey in Prince George was two jerseys. It was a normal normal jersey, normal XL, XL jersey. And then they took another jersey and they had to take about six inches off the sleeve and cut the cuff and attach that to the sleeve of his jersey because his arms were just too damn long for an, for the biggest jersey they could give him. It so sounds nice. like you and I are cut from the same vertically challenged cloth. Early in my career, I was doing the game intros, intermission interviews, and to level out the camera shot with me and the players in the same interview, I had to stand on a milk crate. And the players kind of got used to that, and it was a little joke, and it was fine. But then wouldn't you know, Chris Pronger enters the league as a part owner of the Mississauga Ice Dogs back in the day, and he happened to be in the arena where I was working, get him on for an intermission, and, well, he's already 6'7", so up on my milk crate I get, and I had to stand on that just to inter interview Pronger. He was not on skates. <laughs> yeah. Um, you mentioned Jared Scaldi a moment ago. I want to get back to that just because – and I know yeah. I got to let you go at some point, but I just want to hear about Jared because it feels like yesterday he was behind the bench in Guelph here in the O. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we just uh, we uh, we talked a little bit back in the summertime for a while about he was curious about my sports collectibles business that I, that I launched and and I was curious about some of that. He's a you know, if you're in sports, you've got collectibles, and you've got all this stuff. And and like most guys, he was a bubblegum card collector back in the day and still has his bubblegum card collection. So had some curiosity about <laughs> some about the industry and about prices and all those type of things and uh then we ended up uh we ended up uh, chatting uh this past saturday we we're talking during the course of the week and uh jared now is in zelina i think i'm pronouncing that correctly in slovakia coaching the team uh, coaching the organization there but coaching the professional team there and they've got uh that that organization has uh at age all kinds of age levels all the way down um, and uh, their under 18 team has a player called Nella Lupasanova, who is getting all kinds of buzz right now because she is breaking, she's playing, she is playing in the men's under 18 team. Uh, and uh, the person who had all the scoring records was uh, Slavkowski for the Montreal Canadiens, broke all the, set all the records there. Well, she's breaking his records and she's 14 playing with the guys. Oh so she's uh it's it's quite a story uh, she's kind of lupa's uh nella's been uh on hockey night in canada highlights of her on hockey night in canada last two weeks uh she's she's quite a talent she's quite something and so jared kind of reached out to me to say you know is there something we can do so on my uh, i have monthly auctions of sports collectibles and and game worn things and all this type of stuff and so on an upcoming auction we're going to have an autographed jersey uh, from uh, Nella uh, on our on our site um, and uh, and a and a game puck and photos and a few different things from uh, from this fourteen year old female superstar. Absolutely, she's, she's she's very talented. I've seen the highlights and boy, she's uh, she's pretty good. And it was interesting because the night before Jared called me, I uh, I still play hockey three times a week and still love the game and. And in the dressing room, the guys were all talking about Nella, Nella Lupasanova, and these things that they were watching her do on uh, on the highlight reel. And and uh, anyway, she's she's quite the story right now. So we're kind of excited to be working with uh, working with uh, Jared and and Zelina, the team and uh, the organization, and uh, and with Nella. 
That's incredible. And it, it dovetails into where you are at now, because I wanted to touch on that. I mean, all this time, two decades plus in front offices, business side of sports, and now onto the memorabilia side. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I started collecting, you know, cards like a lot of kids did when I was about six years old. And, and uh, I was kind of in the, the right time frame when I was growing up was, uh, you know, in the early, early eighties. Uh, regional sets became a big thing. The Regina Pats had their own sets and the Rough Riders had sets and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers had sets and Zellers had sets. And there was all this stuff that was burgeoning and the American collectors were crazy about the regional sets and they wanted them. So as a teenager, I started my own wholesale company and and uh, and did that right up until the time I left for college and, and university and had and 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 really was a lot of fun, but it was pretty good. It was pretty good coin. And, uh, but I knew, so I kind of put things aside, but always had my collection and always thought, you know, someday I'm getting back into this thing. Someday I'm, someday I'll, I'll, I'll do it again and get back and back and make it a business maybe. And, and, uh, we were about two years ago, we were on vacation in Kelowna, beautiful Kelowna and, uh, saw a store and I said, geez, I wouldn't mind going in there and seeing that hobby store. And Shannon said, yeah, absolutely. We were in there for about a half an hour. And, we came out of there. She said, when we get back home, we live in Grand Prairie right now. We're in northern, uh, northwestern Alberta. So when we get back to Grand Prairie, we're going to clean out the basement and we're going to move all your collection into the basement and you're going to spend as much time as you want. Enjoy it. Spend months. If it takes months, it takes months. But go through, figure out what you got, inventory it, because guess what? I wouldn't know what to do with it and the girls aren't interested in it and everybody's getting older. So maybe figure out what you got, what you're going to do with it. So I did, I took about, I took about six months to inventory it. Uh, and then after that became, you know, what do you, what do you do with this? And what are the values? And uh, when I came through it all, it took about nine months. And I realized if I'm going through this, probably just there's how many guys have I, have I worked with? How many guys have I played hockey with? How many guys out there have boxes of they're old sticks and old jerseys and they've got bubblegum card collections and they've got all this stuff and they don't have nine months to spend on this stuff, but I've done the homework now and I've, I've set myself up on how uh, I'm going to take care of these things. And now I can, I can maybe help them. And there's not a day goes by that. I don't get a phone call or an email or a text from somebody like Jared or, uh, or, or various collectors that reach out and say, you know, help me. I don't know what to do with this stuff. Help. What's it worth? And uh, so we help them with protection advice because whatever shape your stuff is in, it's only going to get worse if you don't protect it. Um, and uh, ultimately, if they want to liquidate it, we've got our auction site. We've got partners in, in Dallas, Texas that reach a, 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 a even wider market than we do. Um, and uh, yeah, every uh, constantly it's if they don't collect stuff, They've got an aunt who's got beanie babies. They've got an uncle who's got a record collection or they've got, and they need help on this stuff. So we help, we help them out. We help them out with advice. And the advice is always free. We don't get anything out of it. And then when it goes to auction, then, then we, then we get a little bit, but um, we're here to help and goodness, we're having fun with it. It's, it really has been a blast. And it's also allowed me, it's given us another reason to, to um, you know, to rekindle relationships with some of the folks that we've uh, um from our from our past from our career and that's been that's been a lot of fun what's the website people want to check it out it's melonvillememorabilia.com 
Melonville, Melonville is, is just like SCTV Melonville, the, where Melonville uh, was the, the home of SCTV for guys like you and I that maybe remember that show. Absolutely. Um, so Melonville is M-E-L-O-N-V-I-L-L-E, MelonvilleMemorabilia.com. And yeah, check it out. And and if there's anything we can help you with or any advice, so that's what we're here for and, and uh, having fun doing it. Well, I've I've been having fun doing this podcast since day one. Uh, I am having even more fun than ever after this conversation. My gosh, it has been an absolute treat. And let's promise to stay connected and do another one of these at some point down the road, because this was great, Scott. We'd love to. And it's it's a, it's absolutely an honor. I really appreciate you having me on. And uh, it's so much fun talking hockey and talking collectibles and, and talking memories. Hi, I'm Logan Anderson, host of the Say the Damn Score podcast. On my show, I deep dive into the sports broadcasting business by, you guessed it, talking to sportscasters. The show has featured big names like Bob Costas, Kenny Albert, and Vern Lundquist, as well as many up-and-coming broadcasters who you may not know yet, but you will know soon. Whether you're looking for professional development as a sportscaster, different career paths, or if you just want to be entertained by hearing some of the best storytellers in the world tell their own stories, this podcast is for you. You can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, or you can visit our website, saythedamnscore.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.